This is Golf Talk Canada, Canada's only national golf talk radio and TV program. Presented by TaylorMade and the TP5 and TP5X Golf Ball. Love every shot with the most complete ball in golf. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Zacchino, Bob Weeks, and Adam Scully. Welcome to a special edition of Golf Talk Canada. It is Zacchino, Weeks, and Scully as we kind of kick off our best of season here on Golf Talk Canada, our year in review specials. And normally, we would go, I don't want to say a lot deeper, but yeah, we, you know, in the past, we have done two or three different versions of year in reviews. And often we start with, you know, news story of the year. You know, what is the news story of the year? And I don't think it's even worth having a debate or a question this year, gents, because are we all in agreement? Bob, we'll start with you. Is it clear cut? Live golf, the announcement, the launch, all the news, all the stories that we're going to dive into over the next 60 minutes here in our Live Golf Year in Review special. Is it clearly, Bob, hands down without a doubt, the number one news item of the year? Oh, yeah, without a doubt, for better or worse. It's um it's a story that transformed the game to a certain extent. It's uh uh it's kind of polarized people on the game it's you know it had so much effect on on everyone from fans to players to sponsors um and you really can't uh, can't think of anything that would come close to it on um the depth and the the amount of time we've spent on it i mean the first event was in june but we were hearing stories well before that with phil leaving right through to their final event at uh, doral a little bit later on it's um, it's been kind of all-encompassing, and it's been a wild ride for sure. It certainly has been. Adam, for you, like for me, I'm with Bob, and I guess for for all that's good and bad, regardless, you know, just because you're the news story of the year doesn't mean that you are the positive news story of the year. And we're going to get into the wins, the losses, and, and how we feel about it today versus what we felt about it, say, back in April or May, or how we felt about it Canadian Open Week. Because I think for a lot of Canadians, that week kind of leaps out of the calendar uh, and we'll, and we'll kind of dig into why. But just at first glance, Adam, is there anything else remotely close in terms of newsworthy story of the year versus Live Golf in the world of golf in 2022? Absolutely not. This Live Golf changed the world of golf, period. And who knows how long Live Golf will actually be a thing? Will it be five years? Will it be 10 years? We don't really know. This time last year, this was still a pie in the sky. Was this actually going to get off the ground? And the fact that they were able to get so many top players to go over there, financially, I know, good, good for them for going over and playing. They made that decision and going. I mean, congratulations to Liv. They've totally changed the landscape of the world of golf. But in terms of the story of the year in the world of golf, there's no doubt about it. Liv Golf dominated the headlines. Well, it would all officially start on June 9th. Uh, if we go back to the summer, June 9th, uh, 2022, with the Liv Golf Invitational from London, England, Charles Schwartzel will become the inaugural winner of the Live Golf Invitational. Uh, 203, seven under par. Uh, he would win that event. Uh, that week, it would hit home hard for Canadian golf fans as really the RBC ambassador. 
the face of, of RBC with golf, Dustin Johnson, uh, would make his announcement that he is not playing the RBC Canadian Open, uh, not in my way, not really fulfilling his obligations in any way. This is this might be it. With all the things that Phil Mickelson said, with the ridiculous lawsuits from uh, from Patrick Reed, from the three players still involved with the current lawsuit, which we will get into that that still exists, that we are going to, going to await uh, trial in 2023. Bob Dustin Johnson leaving the week of the Canadian Open as the face of the RBC golf brand, not only in Canada but around the world. This might be the poorest taste of of any move we've seen all year. Yeah, and there's a lot that goes in behind this that people may not realize. First of all, Dustin Johnson didn't tell anybody until uh, the Monday of the Canadian Open week. So you think of stuff that had been already put up around the golf course, massive signage with Dustin Johnson's face on it had to come down, uh, advertising, bus shelter posters, uh, TV commercials that normally take two weeks to clear on CBS in the US, RBC was then scrambling to try and replace. They didn't really have a lot of replacement commercials that didn't feature Dustin Johnson. <clears throat> I think the poorest thing for me out of the whole thing was the fact that Dustin Johnson didn't have the temerity, didn't have the, whatever you want to call it, the, the, the cojones to call RBC himself. He uh, never let RBC, never picked up the phone and said, look, I'm sorry, he got his agent to do it. Gray McDowell, who left the same time, uh, had the, had the decency to call uh, the RBC folks and say, listen, I'm sorry, but I just want to give you a heads up. Here's what's going on. Dustin Johnson didn't do that. Lost a lot of, uh, I lost a lot of respect for Dustin in that kind of order. And it could have been handled so much better and so much easier. Um, there's no, no easy way to exit when you're sort of ditching one for another, but it really, really put um, a hammer or two to poor RBC for in a lot of different ways. And, and Golf Canada and the RBC Canadian Open. And and just to add a cherry on that, Bob, because I couldn't agree with you more, he didn't have the guts or the business sense or the pull to negotiate at the very least leaving for the second event, getting through the RBC Canadian Open, fulfilling that obligation, that commitment, Adam, to which he was the face for so many years. Uh, this was not like a thing that, you know, happened overnight. All of a sudden he's an RBC ambassador and all of a sudden he's pulling out. This was the face of the brand to Bob's point with the commercials, the printing, the yada, yada, yada. And I don't know if he, if it was a lack of care, a lack of business sense or a lack of pull that didn't allow him to skip the first event, play the RBC Canadian open and then leave. As we saw many other players leave throughout the year that waited it out that played events they had either scheduled to play or already had on their calendar and then went to live golf dustin johnson couldn't pull the same trick yeah and we saw something a little similar i guess you could say later in the year with cameron smith going to live before playing in the president's cup arguably maybe you could you could make that argument but for for dustin johnson yeah, he was one of the faces, if not the focal face, of the RBC Canadian Open before Rory won it back in 2019. He was going to come back and defend all the success DJ had had, all those commercials, like you said, Bob, and where that RBC emblem was 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 pretty well focused on on each and every one of those commercial spots. And and for a guy who obviously his family connection 
with Canada, given Wayne Gretzky. And it, it was it was shocking. I, I will never forget when the live when that first field was announced on I think people were tweeting it out. And that was the name that everyone was like, Oh, my God, is this actually real? And he it was a slap in the face to RBC to Canadian golf fans to golf in Canada. And the fact that like you guys were mentioning, he didn't have the decency, the guts, the stones to call RBC himself is just awful, really. All right, so let's pick it up there, Adam, because that's a great segue into the the shock, the surprise, the name on the list, the names that were rumored on the list. For uh, for many months this year, we were teased with Hideki Matsuyama turning down something in the neighborhood of $400 million as Liv was desperate to access the Asian TV market. Uh, that didn't happen. Uh, Cameron Smith obviously going with a few other Australians. Not the biggest surprise for me, Cameron Smith. Although he's at the peak of his career, although he was threatening for majors, Bob, we all know how these guys look at Greg Norman. We also know that if we're being 100% honest here, Australia's been a neglected golf market from a global, global TV standpoint. Now, the reason being is not because anybody has anything against Australia, but when you put marquee events uh, in on TV in the middle of the night to what is a U.S. TV audience, the marketing dollars go away, the advertising dollars go away, the TV numbers crash. So there's a reason they stay away from Australia. It's not because there's not a fan base, it's not because there's not great golf in Australia. In fact, it's the complete opposite. But money makes the world go round. And if there's one thing Liv has proven, is that money does make the world go round. So Bob, I will ask you this: out of all the players that have jumped ship in 2022 what was the biggest surprise to you and what was the player or group of players that was the no-brainer that you kind of went yeah I can see this uh well in that second category in the no-brainer category I think Bryson DeChambeau to me is a guy who I expected to kind of fall into the live category he's just one of those guys that I sort of look at and go yeah, you know, I think uh, I think you're you're a guy who was going to go for that money, and you're going to try and use everything you can and in every way you can to try and leverage your uh, your uh, appearances and your pr profile. I guess maybe the guy who um, the guy who surprised me the most um, leaving. I I mean, <laughs> it's a little weird, but I think you know I thought I I thought Brooks Kepka might stay around because he had thought about it. And once Bryson went, I thought, well, maybe Brooks will stay <laughs> in that one. They won't have to battle back. But that might have been a bit of a in a different way. That might have been the more surprising one because I thought he might uh, he might enjoy the the competition a little more. Having said that, now I'm kind of realizing that being a little bit injured, maybe he realized his career was sort of winding or at a, at a point where he might not be able to play as well as he had. But that was the one that surprised me the most, I think. All right. I'm going to contradict myself here, gentlemen, because I said, you know, <laughs> When I posed the question, Adam, to Bob, I, I said, or group of players. And the reason I posed it that way is, is for me, when this was starting to take shape, when we saw the announcements coming, et cetera, et cetera, I kind of felt like it, if you were almost pre-champions tour, this kind of made sense for you, right? Um, Ian Poulter, Graham McDowell, Lee Westwood. I mean, these are guys that are deep into the back nine of their careers, not really going to threaten to win majors anymore. It's not that it can't, hap it can't happen. It's not like lightning can't strike in a bottle. We've seen it before. We saw it almost with Tom Watson with another Open Championship. To some degree, we saw it to Phil with Phil Mickelson at the PGA Championship. 
So it's not that it can't happen, but why not grab that money? Why not when you know you're not going to be a playing member of the Ryder Cup team? These guys are kidding themselves when they try to portray themselves as still playing members of the Ryder Cup team. We all know that that, that's a false narrative. So that group was the group that didn't surprise me. But in the same breath, Henrik Stenson is my biggest surprise because if it wasn't for Henrik Stenson, I would have gone to you know, the Taylor Gooches of the world and players like that who were on the upswing and still had their entire career in front of them. And, you know, we're, we're just really starting their PGA Tour career and potentially their major runs and that block of the next decade where they would be able to win majors and play in majors. But when Henrik Stenson, who is in that pre-Champions Tour category, Adam, did the jump, he shocked me the most. And he shocked me the most with A, the fact that he was a Ryder Cup captain and he was walking away from that and B, that he verbally acknowledged that he wasn't going and kind of gave his buy-in and guarantee. But at the end of the day, you know what? There was money troubles there. And again, I said it off the top of the segment, money makes the world go around and live proved it. Henrik was my biggest surprise. Who were yours and who was your no-brainer? Yeah, Henrik Stenson was obviously it was a massive surprise, and, and given his Ryder Cup history, given the what an honor it really is to be a Ryder Cup captain. Now that's flushed down the toilet, and you know he's made a bunch of money. So I mean, Henrik Stenson, do what you want to do. For me, there are a couple surprises. First of all, Matthew Wolf was a big surprise for me, given you know this guy comes out of college, wins right away on the PGA Tour. Him and Victor Hovland and Colin Morikawa all come out together. They're the the next wave, if you will. He almost wins the 2020 U.S. Open in the final group with Bryson DeChambeau. Bryson plays out of his mind and turns into whatever he did that week and dominated. And then he went down a spiral of struggles both on and off the golf course. And the fact that he went to live so early was very shocking to me. So that was one. And then Charles Howell III did surprise me, given all of the success he did have on the PGA Tour, financially anyway, you know, to to make as much money as he did, not really winning all that much was a, a pretty big surprise to me. In terms of no-brainers, um, I'll, I'll never forget watching the Brooks Kepka press conference at the U.S. Open where he was just saying, oh, I'm not going, no, no chance. Oh, I haven't, I haven't talked to my agent, nothing, nothing. And then on the Monday after, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm going to live golf, sayonara, PGA Tour. So that was like, okay, Brooks, like we kind of knew you were going by how defensive you were being. But I, I think those are my three there. Yeah, I can't argue with any of those for sure. And uh, now we will wait and see. That's going to be part of the offseason now moving forward. Are there players that make the jump? The rumor is they want to add seven players. Xander Shoffley has recently shut down his rumors, so Shoffley not going anywhere. But big names like Cantley still floating around in the live universe. On the other side, we'll talk lawsuits. Plenty of them came up. Plenty of them still going. What does it mean to the future of live golf? This is our year in review live golf special right here on GTC. This segment of GTC was presented by TaylorMade. TaylorMade and the TP5 and TP5X golf ball. Love every shot with the most complete ball in golf. This is Golf Talk Canada presented by TaylorMade. This segment of GTC is brought to you by Cadillac. Experience the iconic Cadillac sedans and SUVs in a personalized live video tour with all your questions answered in real time. Book your tour at Cadillac.live. 
Welcome back to Golf Talk Canada, part of our year review special. We're really breaking down what was the year of Live Golf. It was hands down the news story of the year. We just talked a little bit about the launch and, and just feelings around Live Golf when the announcements were made and the surprises of some of the players uh, uh, who, who jumped ship and some of the ones we weren't so surprised. But we can't talk about Live without talking about lawsuits, gents. And I wish there was a lawyer on the panel here today with <laughs> us because, I mean, it's so confusing uh, and it changes in the sense of what lawsuit we're talking about, where it's being filed, what state, what country, labor laws, etc. And it really all starts with what was originally 11 plaintiffs that sued the PGA Tour uh, back early in the spring with an antitrust lawsuit, basically condemning the PGA Tour, suggesting that they were a monopoly and uh, per, uh, performed uh, 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 anti-competition business practices in this monopoly. And it all played out in court about five days, three days before the FedEx Cup playoffs kicked off when a group of players that were banned from the FedEx Cup playoffs asked the judge to step in and allow them to play. Fast forward to today, those players were not allowed to play in the FedEx Cup. That was a huge win for the PGA Tour as we look forward to next year. And those original 11 players are now down to three plus Live Golf. Matt Jones, Bryson DeChambeau, Peter Uline, and Live Golf, the entity, are the players that remain in litigation uh, against the PGA Tour in this lawsuit. Oof. Okay, Bob, let's break down the U.S. version of this first because Keith Pelley's got a whole different can of worms on his hands. Uh, we haven't even spoke about the fact that uh, Patrick Reed is suing Bryson DeChambeau, Damon uh, Lynch, a bunch of uh, journalists, a bunch of golf channel media outlets on a defamation of character. That's a whole other can of worms. In terms of just live golf versus PGA Tour, where do you think this is going? I know you're not a lawyer. I, I know you're, I'm asking you to guess here. But the lawyer stood up in court and said, basically, suggested that live golf already owns 25 percent of the marketplace live golf has already stolen some of the biggest names in the game live golf has cameron smith the open champion live golf is the fastest growing golf entity on the planet this was in the first 15 minutes opening statements and then pointed the finger and called them a monopoly is it not the largest contradiction maybe in you know any case like this we've ever seen yeah, it's uh, it's a little hard to understand. I mean, that's why the lawyers get all the big money, right? So they can kind of wade through this and they understand the intricacies of of the the law and the, and the way these things put out. Um, I mean, the fact that the PGA Tour countersuit shows you that they're serious about protecting what they have. I think the most interesting and perhaps dangerous part of this whole thing is going to be that as these suits progress and, you know, nothing's going to happen until I think at the earliest next September, um, there's going to be revelations. There's going to be depositions. There's going to be things that both sides have to reveal. And that could be, that could be pretty ugly. You, you remember when VJ Singh was suing the PGA tour, when they accused him of, you know, taking advantage with deer antler spray. One of the biggest things the PGA tour was afraid was that they were going to have to reveal suspensions and people who had been, um, you know, uh, suspended from play and why they were suspended from play. They didn't want to do that. So they ended up settling out of court. 
So that's the biggest, I think, concern if you are the PGA Tour or live for that matter, because you're going to have to, you're going to be able to lift up the, 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 the curtain and see behind the, and see who the man is behind there, who's running everything and what's going on. So these, these lawsuits to me are the biggest, um, biggest flare in this whole thing that we haven't really talked about. We are now, but as it gets closer and closer, I think it's going to be very dangerous for both sides and and there's going to be some ugly stuff that's going to get revealed and i think it's going to get dirtier before it gets uh, anything else happens oh i think 100 percent it's going to get dirtier and the pga tour typically historically to your point bob does not does not like to disclose these things they're going to have to get used to it uh they have had to show uh, a bit of behind the curtain in recent months in recent weeks as as live golf has had some wins in that areas of the lawsuit but Adam, to Bob's point, it goes the other way as well. Now, here's what I find a real interesting thing. The PGA Tour, regardless of their willingness or desire to be transparent in certain parts of this area, the PGA Tour is a law-abiding organization, non-for-profit, that operates in Florida, operates in America, and operates under, under the law. The Saudi uh, public investment fund, the Saudi government, the people behind this aren't used to playing by any rules but their own. And so far have not really taken well to what they've been asked to do now. The, the, the Live Golf uh, series has been asked, we want to see your business model. We wanted you to disclose your contracts. We want to see how you recruited players. Who was pulling players on the ground? What was the messaging to Phil Mickelson on how to get players? I mean, if somebody here needs to be nervous about how they were playing ball, to me, it's live golf. I, I agree. And, and even, you know, during those lawsuits, we saw being ex exposed that Phil Mickelson was suspended by the PGA Tour for recruiting players. And even Justin Thomas was pretty vocal on a, a number of different podcasts he was on saying, you know, him and uh, Mickelson and Bryson DeChambeau were vocal about, hey, you know, come on over. Let's do this thing. Let's be creative. Let's go grow the game. Yada, 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 yada. That would be heard so much throughout the year. That was one thing that I really took away from the the initial lawsuit or when that first uh, event happened anyway, but also talking about, like you were saying, Mark, how contracts are being exposed. You know, we heard all these dollar figures of player X was being paid $200 million, but was their prize money actually being taken away from that? That's still sort of up in the air, right? That's like, do we well, it know depends for a on fact? who you believe, right? Yeah, and exactly. Like, what is the actual truth, right? I, I have no idea. I don't either, and uh, we might not know for quite some time. And before we put a bow, guys, on this segment, we should highlight that this is only one of multiple lawsuits. And a big one, guys, our friend Keith Pelly in the DP World Tour is going to go into court in February, I believe, is the first, uh, the first time they will enter court together. And the labor laws are different. And he did not per put a firm ban in place the way uh, Jay Monahan did on this side of the pond because – his labor laws don't allow him to do so. Uh, even though he wants to move in that direction, we all remember how the RNA treated the uh, live golfers when we got to the Open Championship, when we got to the DP uh, tour later on in the year. Uh, he wouldn't put them in T. He wouldn't put the players in TV hours. No press conferences. No proams. They're kind of doing everything they can do to push back and say you're not welcomed here without doing the one thing that they're I guess they're unable to do, which is ban them. We will wait and see what happens. 
I mean, this is just, to Bob's point, going to get way uglier before it gets any better. On the other side, I want to talk wins and losses. Were there wins in your opinion? Did they do things that were, did they do anything well? Is there anything you like? What were the big losses? And more importantly, where do we go from here? More question marks than answers. The winter of live could be as interesting as the summer live. This is Golf Talk Canada. This segment of GTC presented by TaylorMade was brought to you by Cadillac. Experience the iconic Cadillac sedans and SUVs in a personalized live video tour with all your questions answered in real time. Book your tour at Cadillac.live. This is Golf Talk Canada presented by Picton Mahoney Asset Management. For over 15 years, our focus has been on helping Canadians stay invested in all market conditions, including this one. Welcome back to Golf Talk Canada's Kino Week Scully, part of our year in review special series coming up a little later in the show. We'll get you caught up on all things Golf Talk Canada, what the winter schedule looks like for the GTC team and what 2023 looks like for us as we kick it off in January. But we're talking live golf, the story of the year. This is our live golf special and gents you know we've all been kind of very critical of live um especially in the beginning i think we all morally uh and ethically have have issues with where the money comes from etc but you know i won't speak on behalf of you gents but i'm upset at you know what the western world personally my political views I get just as upset when we do, you know, business with these countries on a day-to-day basis and you can throw China in there and you could throw, you know, uh, Europe getting a lot of their energy from Russia as we could go on for hours and, 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 and do a political commentary on all this. So it's not that golf is isolated, I guess is my point, but removing that aspect of this, because I don't think there's anybody listening to this show right now or anyone who watches Golf Talk Canada that says, oh, yay, good, violations against human rights. I don't think there's anybody out there like that. So let, let's put that aside and let's look at Live as just a, a product, just a sports product. And I think a couple of things stood out for me this year. Uh, some some comments from Randall Shamley, uh, some comments from some other uh, U.S.-based writers, etc. And they said, you know, live golf could be entertainment. It really, when DJ nailed that eagle putt to win in Boston, that was an entertaining moment. But he said people don't necessarily watch sports to be entertained. Entertainment is a byproduct. People watch sports because they're invested and because they care. Mark Zacchino does not watch the 49ers and they lose a game that they're supposed to win. And he goes, Oh, wow. But boy, was that an entertaining game? No, he throws his Joe Montana vintage jersey against the wall, curses, pours himself a drink and marches out of the room. <laughs> Bob, how do you get anybody to care about? It? That's a big question for for Liv. And, and to me, the the biggest problem they face right now is um it's not memorable. Like nobody is talking about the product on the golf course. Everyone is talking about, Oh my gosh, all that money, you know, here's how much they win. Here's how much they sign for. Here's how much they've spent. 
and nobody cares about other than that putt by Dustin Johnson. I can't remember a single shot from live this year. So, you know, having said that, there are some interesting things. Like I, I wasn't, wasn't really big on the, on the uh, shotgun start. Um, I was kind of intrigued by the team aspect. I will say that that's the one kind of thing that, that I think, and most people I've talked to have said, you know, that may have some footing and I'm not quite sure if they've got the, the system that, that works well in place yet. Um, And I don't know who's going to buy these franchises. There's lots of rumors flying around that people are interested. Companies are interested in owning a franchise, but that's kind of the one positive thing that I think Liv may have kind of pegged out of it. But um, is that enough to make me kind of tune in and watch? Is, is the regular golf guy going to look at that rather than uh, the PGA Tour on Sunday? If you compare the first two Liv events, the one with Charles Schwartzel one compared to Rory and, and, uh, and Justin Thomas and, and Tony Finau coming down the stretch, there's no comparison. The, the excitement level is and, and you can even see it in the players i mean the, the live players don't even look all that excited when they win a tournament or they play well it looks like they're at a skins game made for tv so that's that's what they're going to have to figure out is how do they make it meaningful well and, and i think it was joel damon who mentioned on a podcast about a month ago you know if a golf if a golf golfer wins a golf tournament and there's no one there to see it yeah this right it's the old does a tree fall in the forest and I'm with you. I think I'm not a fan of the 54 hole shotgun. I don't like 54 holes. I don't like the shotgun. I don't like the no cut. Uh, so there are aspects of it. I just don't <laughs> like. personally, I don't buy into them. I more of a traditionalist, I guess, in that sense. Uh, I'm with you, Bob. The only aspect that I think has legs is the team aspect. But for me, for the team aspect to have some name, uh, to have some legs, I think there's two things for me, Bob, that needs to happen. Adam, I want to throw this at you. Mm -hmm. One, there needs to be a reason for a team. I don't need four guys put together arbitrarily under some bad marketing name like the Fireballs. I can't get into that. There needs to be something like this is Team Florida, you know, because these guys all play out of Jupiter. Or the Australian team. There has to be some type of geographical uh, ties of some kind, like we do in other team sports. Um, you know, even in Formula One, that people will always use the Formula One argument, and they'll say, you know, Formula One. Yeah, but Ferrari is, regardless of who's driving for Ferrari, Ferrari is that, that's as Italian as you can get. Okay, so there's there's that national pride, there's that tie to geography and nationalism, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There has to be that for me to really, I think, buy in. And the other thing is, I mean, apparently a billion dollars doesn't buy you a marketing team because you could have put me in a room with five sixth graders and we could have come up with better names than the fireballs, Adam. Totally. I mean, I, I was thinking back to taking marketing in grade 11 and thinking, well, maybe if they had hired me, I, I, I could have yeah, the fireballs. Come on, guys. But yeah, a couple of things there. I mean, I remember watching the first broadcast and being intrigued by that sidebar sort of scoreboard that they had on with how many holes to go. And it's just kind of confusing and they're not using their full names. It's like it's like J Johnson is J-O-H or like J-N. It's like, what, what are you guys doing here? So that, that was that was confusing to me. The team aspect, like you guys said, 
there is potential there. I remember watching the final team event. I, I tuned in for the last 30 minutes just out of sheer curiosity. I was one of 18,000 people in the world to watch that last 30 minutes. And it was it was intriguing because Dustin Johnson and Cameron Smith were playing some decent golf. Pat Perez shot under par for the first time in about 100 rounds. And, <laughs> and it was just, and in terms of, you know, there was a lot of money on the line, but everyone's score counted. Because throughout the year, it was either two scores would count, and they changed to three scores would count. And then it was sort of the rules kept changing, which was just sort of weird to me. The one thing that I think the players really liked is the shorts, is wearing shorts. And now I'm not sure if Phil Mickelson walked up to Greg Norman and said, hey, man, I have the nicest calves in the history of the world. I want to show these things off for everyone. I, You know, Phil being Phil with his calves, I don't know. But that's that's something that I know on the PGA Tour you can wear shorts during practice rounds will that actually change for tournament rounds eventually maybe depending on the time of year but i mean all in all like you guys said too and and bob you did an essay in in sports center earlier in november talking about sort of the you know what's next for live and and they're really aside from the dustin johnson moment like you guys mentioned there wasn't really much memorable going on in live like Brooks Kepko wins in front of nobody and he starts crying and I don't know if he cut an onion directly before that to try to cry <laughs> in front of the camera or something but like that just seems so fake and so forced for a guy who never really showed any emotion aside from winning major championships well he's a hypocrite is what he is uh and and you know he and he's a hypocrite not an opinion just based on his own words right. I don't care about golf when you see me on TV playing golf is when I play golf. I'd rather play baseball. I don't practice. These are his quotes, not mine. And then you cry because you want to live event. Okay. End of story. Full stop. Great segue, Adam. Two questions for you, gentlemen, before we wrap this segment. And they're big questions. The two biggest hurdles, in my opinion, moving forward, I think in most people's opinions, when, when they look outside of live looking down is, can they qualify? Do they qualify? Will the official World Golf Ranking Committee find a way to give them world ranking points? And if they do, how much do they have to manipulate their own system to be able to actually offer these points? Because part of the World Golf Ranking Point system, it's a moving scale. People are in, people are out. Fields are deeper, deeper. fields are less deep. These are the same guys playing against each other each week. So there's so many challenges here. And number two, do they get a media partner? Do they get a deal with the Fox? Does somebody come to the table and either sell them a media deal or cut them a check for a media deal? Bob, to me, those are the giant walls to climb for live. Do either, either of these walls get climbed in the next six months? Uh, I believe they'll have some sort of a, appearance on TV. I think they'll, they'll have to pay for it, um, which is not the preferable way you want to do it. I think it's going to be with Fox sports one, if the rumors are correct. So I think you'll be a little bit more on TV. Really the only place they're not on TV right now is the United States, which is not, is, is a big, the biggest market, obviously where you need to be. I mean, they're in little bits and pieces all over the rest of the world. Uh, so I think that'll get done. I don't think it'll be a great deal. I don't think they'll love it, but, uh, but at least they'll be on TV. And then whether anybody watches another question on the world ranking points, I think eventually they will get world ranking points, but I think they're going to have to make some concessions. So I think they're going to have to start maybe having a cut 
Um, they're already talking about having Monday qualifying now to get make it a little bit more open. So I think they're going to have to move, and they're going to have to move significantly from what they've started with this year. But I think they'll get points eventually. But the points won't be much because the fields just aren't that deep. Well, and there's two questions, Bob. A, the fields aren't that deep. Uh, B, they're playing amongst the same group of people each week, which jigger the point system. And I want to follow up with you here, Bob, because I'm with you. In order for this to happen, there has to be concessions made and changes made. They're about to uh, they're about to release their 2023 schedule. It looks like they're going to go 14 tournaments deep next year. It looks like Toronto slash Canada is off the table for now, thank God, which is fan a fantastic win for golf Canada and their partnership with RBC and the PGA tour. But that means they would have to then go mid season and make these concessions. Could this even happen next year, Bob, because they're not going to announce their 14 tournament schedule and a bunch of concessions off the top. Could you see them doing this midstream? Well, they're pretty flexible. They're pretty nimble. They can make changes whenever they want. It seems like, or Greg Norman can, but I don't think the official world golf ranking people are going to be making any any statements until well after this this uh schedule is out so i i would suspect it might be another year before they get them all right adam same for you do you see official world golf ranking points coming if you do does it come with uh the same model we have now or do they have to uh do a uh, many changes to bob outlined if not more and do you see a media partner coming you know i've heard as as you both have heard that the fox deal is very close but this is not a media deal that we're all used to. This is not somebody buying the rights. This is a production deal and an airtime deal. We're already outputting $1 billion without this deal. It's a billion dollars to run this thing next year is the rumored number. $1 billion of costs at the moment with little to no revenue. How much longer can they go down this model? And is this a media deal that they even want? I'm I'm very curious about that going forward, and I I, I do see you know a Fox Sports one or someone yeah, taking this on. You will be able to see it in the U.S. in some fashion, other than on YouTube, where so many people watch it throughout the year. Hardy har har. But even you know Phil Mickelson spoke about at the end in one of his later press conferences at the end of the live season, saying you know aside from the U.S. and the U.K., live golf is doing great. Well, Phil, the U.S. and the U.K. are pretty massive, man. So maybe you want to switch that. And you got to add Canada in, into that too. So I'm curious where, uh, where, where that goes uh, going forward in terms of the official world golf ranking points as a golf fan in major championships, I want to see best on best for sure. And you still will see a lot of best on best given some of the live players who have gone a la Dustin Johnson, a la Cameron Smith, a la Patrick Reed for another year. You know, all the guys who have won green jackets, you will see them still play at the major championships. But concessions do need to be made. You can't just walk into a field, shoot seven over par and get world ranking points because you know, you, there has to be some sort of qualification process, whether it's a Monday qualifier, whether every team has one or two alternates per se. I think there has to be a cut too. I don't see them going to 72 holes. I think part of their thing is 54 and 54 whole tournaments. But thus I, live, right? But thus well, live, exactly, right? 54, the whole brand is around that. Right, but in terms of changing midseason, I mean, they changed midseason about 12 times this year. So with them, I mean, anything is really flexible, I, I really think. 
We will wait. We will see. There'll be so much over the next few months. They're not going to kick off till we get to about April, I believe, next year for their first event of what will be 14. I, and, and, and I believe they might even be starting in Australia next year in April as their first event. We'll, we'll wait and see. On the other side, we will wrap up today's show with two questions to Bob and Adam, and we'll get you caught up on all things GTC. This is Golf Talk Canada. This segment of GTC was presented by Picton Mahoney Asset Management. For over 15 years, our focus has been on helping Canadians stay invested in all market conditions, including this one. This is Golf Talk Canada, presented by Picton Mahoney Asset Management. This segment of GTC is brought to you by Adidas Golf and the all-new Tour 360 22. Tour 360 22 sits on the feet you wear last, serving as the foundation for the all-new Tour 360 fit, while the new direct-injected Spike More traction system will help golfers stay locked in. Welcome back to Golf Talk as we wrap up today's year review special, which was the year of live. Gentlemen, two questions to finish this for both of you. Bob, we'll start with you first. In your mind, yes or no, was Live Golf Season 1 a success? And question two, can there be peace? Can there be negotiations in the world of Live PGA Tour, DP World Tour, as long as Greg Norman's the CEO? Rory McIlroy has called for his head. Rumors of Mark King, former TaylorMade head, replacing him. Does Greg need to go to find peace in the world of golf? Uh, Live Golf was a success if you consider that it came together very quickly and held their tournaments and went off. Uh, second question. No, I think Greg Norman has to, has to exit at some point or be pushed out the door more likely. Adam, same to you. Does Greg need to go in order to be any piece at all, any cooperation between these tours, governing bodies, etc.? And number two, just in your mind is live golf a success for year one. I think Greg Norman definitely has to go when Rory McIlroy wins the RBC Canadian open. And the first thing he says is I have one more win than Greg Norman. That was in the back of his mind for sure. I think Greg Norman has to go for this to have any chance of coming together. Uh, and in terms of success, I mean, they got off the ground, they, they played eight tournaments and a lot of players went. So all in all, it, it was way more successful than I ever thought it would be. I'm more curious now where it goes for their, I guess, official year one, as they put it for next year. Yeah, for me, this is a really hard question to ask and answer. It seems to be a very popular question these days. And the reason I find it hard to answer is normally to answer this question, there would be a, a fiscal uh, result attached to a new business or a business plan or a model in place. But you got to throw that out the window because this was never designed to make money. It was never designed to earn money. Uh, so how do I even decide whether this is a success or not? I guess my uh, to answer my own question would be, if you're fine bleeding a billion dollars, then yes, Live Golf was a success. You got it off the ground. You stole some of the world's best players. And you disrupted the number one tour in the world. And you made everybody have to go back to the drawing board. We have to give some kudos here. 
Rory McIlroy and Tiger Woods getting together and launching a new business that they were talking about in the weeds that they expedited and will be launching next year on Monday nights. The PGA Tour reworking their schedule, finally putting an end to the wraparound schedule, which I can tell you right now, from my standpoint, a huge, huge victory that we will actually hand out a FedEx Cup and that will be it. And we will start at the plantation course in Kapalua in 2024, the way it's supposed to start. In, it, it always started in Kapalua. And now the fall series will be about repositioning yourself. So there are wins here. So, and I'm with you guys. As long as this is personal for Greg Norman, it is very hard to find middle ground. That does it for us today. We're not going anywhere. One hour every Monday throughout the win winter, 10 a.m. to 11 a.m., TSN 1050, iHeartRadio, TSN Radio. For our winter season, it is our best of, our year in reviews. And don't forget, January the 23rd, we're back, season 13, a two-hour Golf Talk Canada, back to 10 to 12 with a 7 to 9 p.m. repeat Monday night, season 13. And we've got a huge announcement. We might even have multiple announcements to kick off season 13 um, I mean, so much we're working on. We can't wait to tell you all about it. 20 weeks of TaylorMade is back next year and much, much more. We'll do it all January 23rd for season 13. Thanks, Bob. Thanks, Adam. Enjoy your winners. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. And thank you so much for listening. Remember, first good decision on the golf course, it always starts in the closet. This segment of GTC presented by Picton Mahoney Asset Management was brought to you by Adidas Golf and the all-new Tour 360 22. Tour 360 22 sits on the feet you wear last, serving as the foundation for the all-new Tour 360 fit, while the new direct-injected Spike More traction system will help golfers stay locked in. Thank you for listening to GTC. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Golf Talk Canada. For show archives, podcasts, and all things GTC, visit GolfTalkCanada.com. And don't miss Golf Talk Canada Television weekly on the TSN Television Network.